The commentary on this podcast is not intended to serve as or replace professional, legal, financial, or medical advice. While the insights may have wide applicability, listeners should consult with a licensed or certified professional in your state to obtain advice with respect to your particular case. Did you know that in the U.S., three women are killed every day by an intimate partner? It's sad to know that one in three women will be impacted by sexual assault or domestic violence during their lifetime. And it's even worse knowing that most of that is from within their own home. Making a decision to leave an abusive relationship is hard. There can be so many fears that are circling, and the same can be said for making the decision to end your marriage. Now, what if they're combined? And the pressure and the fears are even worse if there are children involved. Are there actions that you can take to help support your case and enhance your safety when leaving an abusive marriage? And what protections and support are available to you and your children? We know that there are so many concerns that you have when you're trying to craft an exit strategy. This is Divorced and Determined AF, the show that empowers women to make aligned decisions before, during, and beyond divorce. My name is Jamie Milam, and I am determined to empower you to live the life that you desire and deserve by making informed decisions and taking aligned action. Today, we're educating you on some of those options so that you're empowered in a time that you are going to need to call on all of your strength. So if you're wondering what it is that you need to know if you are or if someone you know is trying to leave an abusive marriage, then you'll want to tune in to share with us some of the legal aspects that you need to consider while crafting your exit plan when domestic violence is involved. Today, we'll be joined by family law attorney, Theresa Vera, owner of the firm Modern Legal in Charlotte, North Carolina. Theresa focuses her legal work on helping families because she was once there. She was a young witness to domestic violence within her own home, and she was only a child when attempting to help her mother endure her own divorce. So she knows it's hard, and she knows that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. She aims to find the best solution for you. And of course, ladies, let me remind you that We've designed a space to help you navigate all sorts of aspects that divorce encompasses, and this is just one of them. So stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can access these free resources. Now, let's get started. Divorce is an overwhelming process that most of us did not know how to navigate until we were in the thick of it, which can cost us a lot more time, money, and energy than necessary. Divorced and Determined AF hopes to change that. I'm your host, Jamie Milam. I'm a realtor and a certified divorce specialist who not only works with divorcing couples when selling their home, but I am also divorced and I know firsthand how much having thorough resources would positively impact women for years to come. I'm bringing together fellow divorcees and experts working in the field to talk about this private taboo topic, all with the goal to help you feel prepared, educated, assured, confident, and empowered to make informed decisions related to your divorce journey. So whether you're just now considering a divorce, in the midst of it, or are now navigating a new norm and are determined AF to do it your way, this is your safe space. You deserve it. Theresa, I'm so glad to have you here because I know that this topic is near to you and you're super passionate about helping families through, well, what's already a very difficult uh, 
process as it is with divorce anyways, but especially so when there's this added layer of domestic violence. I'm going to just dive right in if that's okay with you and kind of start from maybe like the proactive stages and work our way through some very intentional questions because I know we've got some women listening that really struggle with trying to figure out how they can even plan to go, right? How they can even plan to take this action because it is a scary thing. So the first thing that I'm curious about for the women listening who's trying to navigate that scary aspect of planning her exit, are there any specific things that she should gather as evidence of abuse for maybe divorce proceedings and maybe even in the same token, like anything that she should avoid doing that could in fact consequently hurt her case? Sure. So every divorce and relationship and situation is unique and it's very tricky to do broad generalization pieces of advice for anyone. So honestly, the very, very first piece is to consult with an attorney as soon as possible, because depending on that person's specific situation, we may advise that she stay in the house or we may advise that she leave the house. And so I can't say overall, leave the house, right? And I can't say overall, stay in the house. So it much more is creating a game plan unique to a person's specific situation that is key here. These plans can be influenced by various factors. For example, do you have children? Do you not have children? How how old are the children? What are the factors in the child's life? You know, is the child in school or is the child not in school yet? Is the child 18 years old already, right? And, And these are all factors that then affect the legal parameters of Mm -hmm. a separation or divorce. So getting more into like the nitty gritty of the legal aspects is the fact that domestic violence is one piece of a bigger puzzle. And of course, with any type of domestic violence situation, we also want to investigate if that violence has affected the children, negatively impacted the children. And I'm not just talking, oh, does the abuser also hit the children? No, that's not what I'm saying. Rather, it's has there been any form of negative influence on the children? Because a child witnessing that their mom is being hit in front of them, well, that's exposure to violence. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not direct physical violence on the child. It's still exposure, which can be viewed, depending on the circumstance, as child abuse itself and can then influence a child custody action. Then we also have the financial aspect. If you look in North Carolina specifically, at domestic violence and how it's defined under what we call chapter 50B, domestic violence is very narrow for purposes of a chapter 50B protective order. That doesn't mean though, that there aren't other forms of domestic violence that we must logically address. A big example is financial abuse. So if someone is enduring financial abuse, meaning they don't have access to the marital funds, that they are being put on a very, very strict stipend, that they don't know how much money is coming in or going out simply because they haven't been given access to the bank accounts. These are all factors that then can influence not necessarily getting a domestic violence protective order, but more importantly, can affect any type of child support claims or spousal support claims. Because at the end of the day, I'll be honest, the courts care much less about whether or not domestic violence existed for purposes of child support and spouse support. And more importantly, 
and I would say logically, are focused on do you have enough money to pay for your necessary expenses, regardless of abuse existed? And so when I sit down with domestic violence survivors, you know, I, I, I understand there may be a lot of hurt feelings. There may be a lot of evidence of abuse, but that doesn't always mean it's necessary to bring those items up because at the end of the day, everyone needs money to survive. And we just want to make sure you get the money you need. Yeah. You know, I could go down a rabbit hole here, but I'm going to try not to do that because it really sucks that when you then play into how somebody's mental health is affected with domestic violence and how that can affect their performance or their ability to seek employment, you know, if they have been under tight control and haven't been able to have employment because they have been under financial abuse where somebody has to have so much control that you can't even have your own income, right? Sure. And so then you add on layers there where if you don't even have a resume yeah. and you don't have any employment experience and then it's hard to go get the employment and as if we're expecting that a domestic violence abuser is going to actually pay this money to us. I mean, I don't think wow. most women are probably going to hold their breath for it. But it, what I'm hearing from you is that it's not necessarily so much that the court is looking for evidence of the domestic violence, that that's not so much going to affect the divorce aspect in terms of like what they get for child support or alimony. Of yeah. course, it would probably affect a parenting plan. But most importantly, Possibly. how do we navigate a safe divorce process exactly. um, with domestic violence? And so- it's not necessarily what do we gather for evidence. It's just making sure we have those consultations to know maybe it's best to stay for a minute and, you know, kind of play this out and work out a game plan. And then maybe it's not, right? Maybe yeah. you guys Well, and it depends on the too. type of abuse as well, right? If it's, if it's physical abuse, life is being threatened, then you call police immediately and, and that phone number is 911. But if it's a form of, well, he or she talks negatively or down at me, it's taking that mental toll, like you alluded to earlier, and now there's these uh, very manipulating, gaslighting type behaviors, and the victim, hopeful, soon-to-be survivor, doesn't even have access to the bank accounts or doesn't have access to their family members or friends, then you're seeing that progression of the domestic violence escalating or that domestic violence unhealthy situation escalating. Mm -hmm. So it's then creating a game plan that's very unique to that individual. So for example, it could be, yeah, you stay in the house and we ask the opposing side to leave. And they yeah. may leave because now they're getting a letter from an attorney or getting a threat of a lawsuit from an attorney. And, and to your point about, you know, individuals, survivors specifically, not, not expecting that their abuser is going to pay. Well, if, if you get an order from the court and the court finds that abuser needs to pay, he needs to pay. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, yes, sure. He'll be held in contempt. We know that. But at the same yeah, time, like, listen, I'm all about independence <laughs> for women. At some point, we also have to say that we're going to have a little bit better mental health if we know that we can start to rely on ourselves and go yes. do what we need to do post 
divorce, no matter what, to be able to provide for ourselves and our children, especially, you know, it takes time. I'm not saying this is something that happens overnight and it does take time. And as you mentioned about the financial abuse, I know that we here in Charlotte have safe Alliance that Mm -hmm. women can reach out to if they don't have access to the finances for consultations. But before I move on, can you touch on that? Like what options are there for women who don't have access to the finances because of some financial abuse within their household? And that's a huge question that I get asked all the time, you know, in in this space, because they're like, well, I don't even have the money to be able to because my husband's going to see it. Sure. And and that's where we want to get extremely creative. So for example, I have sat down with clients before and let's say they don't have direct access to funds, but there is say a credit card or a debit card that they use to buy groceries. Well, maybe while you're at the grocery store, add on a $10 gift card, a $20 gift card, or if you're giving cash, siphon some of that cash away. I know it's very hard. I mean, the price of food itself at the grocery store has increased exponentially. But if you're able to over time siphon off some of the funds that are available to you, then at the very least, you can try to either pay for a consultation or at least reach a safe place that you can get more of this this type of information. And I, I get it. Unfortunately, individuals in, in the States, in North Carolina specifically, you don't have the right to an attorney when it comes to your family and your family affairs. You just don't. It's very different than being appointed a public defender if you're facing a criminal charge. And because of that, the courts often have individuals representing themselves. And then when you represent yourself, you don't have all the knowledge of the law or the procedures or how this or that judge rules on issues or simply put how you can ask for relief. And so it's, it's crucial to at least sit down with an attorney to get an idea of what you may be entitled to, even if that means you may be representing yourself for a portion or even all of the litigation. So for example, my team, we do get referrals from different agencies. It does have to be an agency referral and we'll provide pro bono or what we call low bono consultations if it's a referral from an agency with certain attorneys that in our team. There's also the Mecklenburg County Self-Help Center. So at the courthouse itself, there is a self-help center that has a lot of materials and forms that you can utilize if you want to file a lawsuit on your own. And then there's also low bono consultations either through the the, um, Mecklenburg uh, Self-Help Center or the North Carolina State Bar. The issue is, is a lot of those is it's very minimal information And sometimes you may actually gather more information by just going online and reading some articles on law websites versus sitting down with someone. But if you do a consultation with, say, a private attorney that can get a little bit more in depth, generally you get a lot more information. Well, and I know in our resource center, we have a handout that really helps women identify questions to ask their attorney to help them hire the right attorney. And especially when it comes to domestic violence, you know, a woman wants to make sure that they're working with an attorney who has extensive experience and has comfortability around it, dealing with several different personality types on the other side of the table, because even though we need to do what's cost effective for us as women in that process, 
it's important to know what's possible and to be able to plan ahead, especially for safety purposes. When it comes to safety and privacy, you know, is there a way, because when you file for divorce, you know, that's a, that's a public court record. Is there a way to keep her divorce proceedings confidential in order to protect her privacy and her safety from her abuser? Is that, is that a thing? Is that possible? No, no, no. Unfortunately, like any lawsuit against an abuser would necessarily have to not only be filed on the public record, but actually served on the abuser. Uh, and that's simply because in our adversarial judicial system, anytime someone is being accused of anything, they have the right to have notice of it. They have the right to review what's in those accusations. So unfortunately, no. I mean, but that that's very different than uh, attempting to protect someone's privacy, though. So for example, if, say, a, a victim has an attorney, then as their attorney, I'll put my name and my firm's address on all the paperwork. And I won't need to put my client's address or new address on the paperwork, if that makes sense. It'll right. be my phone number, not my client's phone number. So that's a form of protection. And I will note here, you know, the divorce, I, I, we call it the divorce process, but in North Carolina, you're not even filing for divorce until a year after the separation. And so when I'm working with domestic violence victims, we very much are still working in the environment of they are either still living with their abuser, so the data separation hasn't even occurred yet, or they're trying, or they just left and are trying to stay safe. So I like to tell people, I'm like, let's not even talk about the divorce word, the big D word. Let's talk about, are you safe? Do you have food? Do you have clothing? Do you have shelter? Talking about the very necessaries immediately. If you have Say, let's say you have housing at your friend's place, at least for a couple of days. Great. Now we need to make sure the abuser doesn't come after you. Maybe we entertain the idea of a protective order. Next step is the financial piece. If you have children with you, especially, then we may need to file for temporary child support and get you money sooner rather than later. In addition to all of that, we are able to ask for attorney's fees. It's not always granted through the courts, but if someone is nervous about hiring an attorney because of the fact that attorneys are necessarily expensive, then we can also ask for attorney's fees to be paid by the abuser. And this is where then the legal tactics come in. Because whenever I'm working with a domestic violence victim and I'm trying to get them to a safe situation, get them on the road to recovery and to survivorship, it really is now using the tools that we know abusers don't like against them. So to your point about uh, things being out in the public, abusers like control. Once something is out in the public and we're controlling the discourse, they don't like it. If someone like a judge is making determinations about their finances or when they can see the children or whether or not they're in the house, abusers don't like it, right? Because now that we've effectively taken the control out of the abuser's hands and put it into a judge judge's hands. And as such, You'd be surprised. Abusers tend to come to the table and say, well, I don't want that. Okay, well, if you want something that we can agree upon, then that not only empowers the victim because they have a say now when they at the, probably up to this point had no say in their lives. And then it also tempers the abuser's mannerisms and behavior because the, the abuser doesn't want to hand off decision-making authority to a judge. That makes sense. I mean, it. I can see that it would cause some 
further concern maybe from women who have left because they know their partner better than anybody. So they know what those buttons are and it can definitely cause some additional fear. It definitely makes sense that in order to find the best safety plan for exit, you know, strategizing with legal team is going to work out best. I've been asked, Theresa, for women who want to get their kids out of this endangerment. And sometimes women find an opening to do that before they've had an opportunity to have a consultation with an attorney, right? For example, they do have questions with what if their husband accuses them of kidnapping the kids, you know? And then of course the husband knows where the kids go to school. So we always have this concern that then they come to the school. So can you share with us a little bit about that concern about being accused of kidnapping the children? And then I know that we can't go too much down the rabbit hole because there's schools that are involved and then there's paperwork there. And of course there's rights and I'm sure states are different as well, but maybe alleviating that mindset about the concern about the kidnapping because moms don't want to be put in a position that then they're going to be taken away from their kids because of something like that. We see that a lot. And, and and I hear you when when someone feels like they must get out of a situation prior to consulting with an attorney. Um, my best piece of advice is do not leave the area. Stay in the area. Meaning if you're leaving the house because you're worried about the safety of your children, then take the children with you to your friend's house down the street. Do not cross state borders. And that, especially here in Mecklenburg County, we got to be careful because South Carolina is around the corner. Do not take them to South Carolina. Do not take them out of the country, especially. And and the reason why is to your concern, then the accusation of kidnapping may actually catch some traction. Now, that doesn't mean if we're in front of a judge that the the abuser is going to prove kidnapping. And I'm not saying that a, a mother will necessarily actually be criminally charged with kidnapping. But making sure we don't even give that argument any any support, right? Then then that's that's the goal. It's tricky with children. If if a child and or a victim is in harm's way, call nine one one. Call nine one one. Why? Because at that point, yes, once the police are involved and they either remove the abuser or they advise the victim to leave with the children then you're good. Then you definitely can't be accused of kidnapping because you've literally just been advised by law enforcement to separate or leave the area. Again, still don't leave the state or anything like that, but at least you can take the children with you. If, if you they went to their friend's house down the street, right? Sure. Or, you know, family member in the in the same town with their children and then called 911 once they got to safety and explained what happened, is that still going to... It depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really depends. I mean, generally what, what we're looking for is the severity of a situation presenting imminent harm. If the situation presents imminent harm, then in those circumstances, you got to call 911 right away. Now, let's say, yes, you're in an abusive situation. You pick up the children from school. You take them to the friend's place instead of home. And you keep the children for that weekend and a number of days pass by. And then you call police. At that point, police can't really do much, right? At that point, you definitely need to talk with an attorney because then there there comes in, okay, now you may have separated. Now you may have taken the children such that we need some type of custody order. And there are so, it's a ripple effect, if you will, from a legal standpoint. 
but I, I honestly, if at all possible, even if it's an emergency, you know, last minute consultation, and I get it, law firms, including my own, are usually only open nine to five Monday through Friday. Do the consultation first. Do it by phone if you need to, but try not to necessarily leave with the children unless you are at the point where 911 is literally your your only way to make sure everything stays calm or, or safe. Yeah. Okay. I think that that helps very clearly answer the question that I know that I've been asked because it is important. A lot of the times we think I've just got to get out of here, even if they're not home and then they're gone, which obviously means that they are not in the eyes of the law in imminent danger. If they're able to slip out at that time, and it sounds like they could be putting themselves at risk of complicating maybe the case. Mm-hmm. So well, one step further you know, if if you're taking steps after creating a game plan with an attorney, I'll be honest, if, if someone walks into my office and they say, I think my abuser is going to kill me or the children tonight, then I am going to send a letter to the abuser saying, my client has left with the children. They are in a safe place. We are not disclosing their location, yada, yada, yada. Please contact my office for any other questions, right? And right there, that letter protects my client from being accused of kidnapping, being accused of abusing the children herself, et cetera. That kind of actually segues me into another question that I had, which is what legal protections are available to her and her children from the abuser during and maybe even after the divorce process? I mean, you know, separation and post-divorce. Yeah. Well, I I like to remind my clients, especially the survivors, A crime is a crime is a crime. Guess what? Assault is a crime. Communicating threats is a crime. Regardless if you were in a romantic relationship, regardless if you took out domestic violence protections like a protective order during the separation period or around the divorce. And and I say that because I think, especially my survivors, they often think that everything that their abuser told them has some type of basis in truth. So I, I always try to tell them, Let's back up. Your abuser is an abuser, meaning they probably have lied to you. They probably are trying to taint your perspective of the world in the abuser's favor. And it's very hard. It it is a recovery type of process, taking into account the survivor's mental health and and state of empowerment and state of independence. And so I say that to mean If there was a history in any way, shape, or form of domestic violence in the past, and you get a creepy phone call, and you don't know where it's coming from, call the police. I'm sorry, we all pay taxes. You pay taxes because you don't want to be threatened. You don't want to be assaulted or harassed. That's what the, the law enforcement is there for. And trust me, law enforcement would much rather get calls from you to create a record of suspicious behavior during or after the separation and divorce than get a call of a possible murder scene. And that's what I was going to say too, is that I think especially as domestic survivors tend to undergo so much abuse and, and yes, oftentimes when it does become physical abuse, we tend to think once we've gotten out of that, that anything other than physical abuse is, you know, just like maybe harassment and not as severe, maybe not as criminal. And, And if they're not hitting us, if they're not there threatening us, 
then it doesn't seem like an, an emergent situation to contact 911. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's been so many years of compounding where you've allowed things to escalate before you've really done anything. So there's a sense of conditioning that yeah. when they abuse you mentally, when they put you down, when they threaten you, you know, you've, you've almost normalized it over you the years. It. And yeah. you forget that those are still forms of abuse and, and harassment and threatening. And that those are at its simplest terms, a criminal action when proven. And yeah. so to your point, having a record of it is something that would likely not only potentially protect her and her safety, yes. but also support her case. And yep. it's something that she can then provide to you and you can put into her case file, you know, based on your experience working with different domestic violence cases, you might be able to pinpoint different patterns that yep. could be showing some escalation and be able to then game plan and strategize. And so, I mean, to that same point around the conditioning and then these fears, right? Like, is there anything that, I mean, I don't know if this is on the attorney or if there are support services that you partner with or maybe just available within the communities, right? But are there support services that are available for women while they're in the thick of this and maybe to help them prepare for their court hearings when they might have to be face-to-face with their abusive spouse again, because that's the scariest part, right? Like there's a part of that spouse that they no doubtedly love. Mm -hmm. If they didn't, they wouldn't have got with them in the first place. Yep. And they've been manipulating them for so long that yep. once you come face to face, there can become this sense of shame or guilt that you've left, especially if you have children that you've taken your children and, you know, an abuser is very good at manipulating and mm -hmm. pretending all sad in front of the judge because, again, they're trying to gain control back and it can make the woman feel guilty because no woman wants their children to be taken away from their father and not have a relationship with a father, you know, like. It's, so long as it's, it's a healthy relationship, yeah. Right, and you know, that, but I, it takes so yeah. long to get to that point. Even if you're in a healthy relationship, we all know that a lot of people will delay getting a divorce simply because they don't want to break up their family, you yeah. know? So, I mean, yeah. it it is one of those things. So are there any manners of supporting them as they get ready to potentially come face-to-face -face with them in a court hearing? Sure, sure. Well, let me preface my response with, if you file a lawsuit today, you're not walking into a courtroom tomorrow to right. face your abuser. Okay. You're, you're just not. Now, the only thing that comes close is that domestic violence order of protection. Generally, those can be filed ex parte, meaning only the victim has to file it and they go alone or the attorney will go ex parte, i.e. without the other party. But generally then within 10 days, yes, you may be facing your abuser. In terms of preparing for that, there is first the question of, do we need a protective order? I, I find sometimes that even attorneys will say, well, if you're in domestic violence, you need a protective order. But do you, right? And, and I say that with some caution because if I can avoid the re-traumatization of my client by walking into a courtroom and seeing their abuser, then I want to take the route that's best for my client. And it could be we don't file the protective order. Why? Because she's not trying to keep the house. If she's trying to keep the house, then yes, we may file the protective order because it's a form of getting the abuser out of the house, right? If we are trying to keep the children with her, then maybe a protective order. Or maybe it's an emergency custody action instead. 
maybe it's a what we call in Mecklenburg County a temporary parenting arrangement instead. And so there's all these different tools that we can try to then avoid even the victim from being exposed again to the abuser and the abuser situation. Aside from that, though, there are so many resources out there. In addition to assistance and strategy with your attorney that can help guide you through this, this very difficult time, there are things like a nonprofit here in Mecklenburg County that you referenced a moment ago, Safe Alliance. They provide a number of group therapy sessions, resources, resume help if you're looking for a job, really rebuilding those foundations, if you will, to help a victim lead a path to becoming a survivor. And Safe Alliance is amazing. And there are there are a number of similar nonprofits in surrounding counties and throughout all the states in the United States to help domestic violence survivors really not only get out of their dangerous situation, but flourish. On the flip side, there are also resources that can be utilized to keep an abuser in check. At the end of the day, an abuser wants power and control. However, if we can temper that power and control by accountability, then we want to institute as much accountability measures as possible. I have a number of clients that literally use me as that accountability mechanism. For example, if my client gets a random dozen roses on her doorstep when there's a protective order in place, you trust me when I say I will send a very scathing letter to the opposing side or their attorney stating if this is in any way, shape, or form connected to the abuser, those roses are connected to the abuser, then I will be the first one to call the district attorney's office to pursue criminal charges. And so it's, it's that type of accountability, keeping that in play to keep that abuser in check. And it could be not only during the separation period, it could be for years after the divorce. You know, it's fascinating because I almost feel like that came full circle, Theresa, that, you know, in the beginning I asked, you know, is there anything that she can gather that would support her case? And even mentioning those roses, right? Because I think that as manipulators and they want the control and they know that they've been able to control this one person and they know that person's buttons too. They know ways that they can try to worm themselves back in. And it might not seem like we should be concerned about roses, but it's never going to be what it looks like on that surface of, oh, let me be sweet and send you these roses. No, sir. Like mm -hmm. that is a form of manipulation and trying to get your way back in. And those are things that you would want to, at the very least, you want to write it down. You want to send it in an email, notify your attorney that this has come across, even if there is not a signature on the card, right? If it exactly. shows up at work, you know, these different little mechanisms of whether they're sweet, quote unquote, or whether they are very clear threats, like screenshots of text messages. I know in the resource center, we have a guide on some things that you can do to create some safety in terms of passwords and location and stuff with your phones and whatnot. And that's something that you would want to do is to have those screenshots the other piece, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on this, but like if you have phone calls, right? And I know that this is state specific and that there are a list of states that it is not a one way, but North Carolina and I think South Carolina as well, we are both, um, you only have to have one party's permission to record the conversation. So if you're having a threatening conversation happening 
hypothetically, there's not a protective order in place, she can actually record that conversation, correct? She could. I will say recordings do not go as far in court as you might imagine or as displayed by law and order. And the reason why recordings are not always the best uh, tool is because judges know that at least one party knows it's being recorded. So they may act differently than they otherwise would. Yeah, that's okay. very different than a text message conversation. I can't tell you how often I will see screenshots and the verbiage that comes across is so damning against the abuser and rightfully so that I can very much use that because whether or not the person knows that someone's going to screenshot their text messages, that's up in the air. But, you know, we, we all, I mean, if you have a phone, you probably use the text messaging feature. And so we all have used that in just common day to day without the expectation that every single text is being recorded. If that makes sense. It does make sense. This is why I also, I mean, I have this philosophy in business as well as in personal life, but anything that is extremely important in terms of coordination or having a record of or trying to show, you know, a pattern of do it in writing. So that way you do have record of it. You can't be gaslighted this way. You can't think that you told them one thing and, and then you're being told, no, it was something different. You have black and white that you can go back and reference. And so it's fascinating that you have mentioned that. So let me ask you, as we get ready to wrap up, What's really one thing, Theresa, because I know that this has been a passion of yours for years, stemming from before you even got into family law. What is one thing that you really want to say to women who are determined to leave an abusive marriage? And I'm going to caveat this to say that I, I, want to, I want to preface that I know that you're going to say make sure that you have that consultation, but this is kind of that no brainer, I hope that people are getting out of the conversation today, right? Is that the only way to know the best way to set yourself up legally and to protect yourself as safely as possible is to get that consultation taken care of, even if that's your number one proactive step. So aside from have the consultation, what's the one thing that you would want to say to them if they're determined to leave an abusive marriage? You're not alone and it will take sacrifice. It will. I have unfortunately seen people lose family relationships, friends. They've lost their nice car, big house, but they're safe. They're alive. They have their children. The children are not being exposed to violence and and they're now exposed to a much healthier environment and not only exposed to the healthy environment, but they're exposed to their mother in in most situations who has survived something very hard and are stronger because of it. And that example for the children. And so knowing that, yes, it will take sacrifice, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And there are so many people that are lining that tunnel and that are at the end of that tunnel that want you to get there, me and my team being one of them, that's what I want people to know. That's what I want survivors to know is you're not alone and we're here for you. There are so many survivors out there that you have a team of people that are just ready to cheer you on and be a reminder of 
it, it is a loss and you will grieve it, but you have the mm-hmm. opportunity to rebuild and you can be stronger for it. And, and you're exactly right. Giving our children a happier and healthier and safer versions of ourself is the greatest gift that we can give them. It really is yep. uh, because that will have a trickle and domino effect for them as well. So thank you thank so you. much for being here. This was so valuable and and really helping women see what they can do to prepare, what they can kind of expect in this first part of the stage of creating this exit plan and, yeah. and getting that ball rolling. So yeah. thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope that this proves to be a resource for so many. Absolutely. I know it well. I know that can be some heavy stuff, but it's the unfortunate reality that we live in and a topic that we need to be proactively educated on collectively. Even if it's not your situation, it's helpful to know how to best support our friends if they're the ones in an abusive situation. Now you may have a bit more clarity on what an emergent situation is and how to navigate that, especially if you have children. You want to make sure that you're keeping yourself safe, but also not accidentally setting yourself up for legal risk. Let me be clear and let me acknowledge, I know how hard it is to make that decision to call the police. But I hope what you've heard today gives you just a bit more of that strength and confidence to empower you to do it for you when you have doubt about your safety. You also heard about some legal protections that are offered, how to manage privacy concerns, and even how an attorney can help act as a barrier and hold your ex accountable. No matter how grim it might look and feel right now, I'm here to tell you that there is a world of support awaiting you. You just have to know where to look. And that, my friend, is what we're trying to provide here. If you're in the Carolinas and you're looking to have a consultation with a family law attorney who specializes in domestic violence, I've included Theresa's intake form in the show notes, along with Modern Legal's Instagram account so that you can scope out more information. And if you're looking for a safe, reliable space with a multitude of divorce-related resources, then visit peaceofminddivorce.info now so that you can access our free resource library. All you have to do is go to peaceofminddivorce.info and sign up for free today. The link is in the show notes.